Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Greetings, demigods and half-bloods. Welcome inside Comic Book Nation's Riptide Radio, your Percy Jackson after show. And today we are talking all things Percy Jackson season one finale, The Prophecy Comes True. I'm, of course, your host, Liam Crowley, and I'm joined alongside, as always, by Miss Nicole Drum. Nicole, what is the greatest season finale you've ever watched? Oh, wow. Okay, this this is going to tell everybody how old I am, honestly. Um, but the TV show Alias, it's a tie for me between the season one and season two finales because they both had twists that I absolutely did not see coming. And these were in a time before being very online about your TV shows was a thing. So I had literally no idea, are we getting more of this? Like you, you lived in this, oh my God, what's next? And this was the days of like television without pity. So you're going to like fan boards, losing your mind about it. So yeah, those, all timers for me. Like they still live rent free in my head. What about you? Uh, I, I'm a big binger. So I feel like I don't remember specific finales, but I know seasons like one through four of Lost always ended mm. with just an amazing episode. Uh, 2021 Marvel TV, say what you will about the current state of Marvel TV, but Falcon Winter Soldier, WandaVision, Loki, they all made me cry. I think Hawkeye did as well. Oh, uh, so there were great Marvel finales in 2021. And spoiler alert, this is a really good finale. And we have brought you yes, the yes. biggest episode of Riptide Radio yet to talk about it because we have not one, not two, but three special guests. Adam Copeland will be breaking down the Aries fight later in the show. Toby Stevens will be talking all things Poseidon on Mount Olympus later in the show. And finally, Charlie Bushnell, Luke himself, is here to talk all about the unbreakable brotherly bond that Luke and Percy have and how much stronger it got in this episode. Nicola brought a tear to my eye. Your commitment to the bit, man, your commitment to this. I, you know, I'm just, I'm just so glad you've got this, this love for the bros, man. I'm just, I'm just so happy for you with everything I, I you got, get. In I got about 30 minutes left, so I'm, I'm soaking it up. I know, right? As, as long as we can. <laughs> Uh, Nicole, without any further ado, though, we have watched a full season of Percy Jackson. Yes. The Lightning Thief story has begun. And then usually I ask you your overall impressions of this episode. But for starters, I want to ask you your overall impressions of this season as a whole. Honestly, I could not have asked for a better a better take on what might be one of my all-time favorite books. Um, this has just been so beautifully done. And I, I just love everything. I even love the changes because there are, I mean, it was, we all seen, there's been some little changes here and there to what we book fans love. Even the people who liked the movie, like there, there are differences. Um, I am just, I think the thing that my biggest impression of this is I am just so impressed with the young actors. 
And I kept thinking about that. Obviously, we see screeners for this. Um, just watching the season transpire, I am just so impressed with these young actors, and it just makes me want more. We, we, I mean, I need more of this. I need more of this show. I need more from these young actors going forward. I am so impressed with everything they've done, the stories that they're telling within the story that we know, because there are stories within stories here. I just... I'm very, very happy with, but I got to ask you, how do you feel about this, Mr. I am the biggest fan of Percy Jackson known to mankind? I mean, I don't think I, anybody I, else can take that title except for possibly its creator. I couldn't be happier with, with what we got. Genuinely, it is so impossible to adapt a book this accurately while also evolving it to a modern time. Um, it's been 20 years since The Lightning Thief came out. Some of just like the story beats and the pacing of it doesn't necessarily translate to a modern TV audience. And they found a way to strike that perfect balance of being faithful to the source material while also making some twists and turns here and there, giving original scenes, sure, but also taking scenes, like playing them out faithfully, but changing just the littlest thing here and there to make it work for live action. What works on the page doesn't always work on the screen. And what works on the screen doesn't always work on the page. And I feel like this laid the groundwork for what could be genuinely an all-time young adult adaptation if it's fully realized to its full potential. And like you said about those young actors, they're so good now, and they're only going to grow into their roles further. Like, they're only going to become more comfortable and understand who Annabeth, who Percy, who Luke, who Clarice, who, who uh, Grover are on a spiritual level, on a psychological level that we can't even comprehend right now because they're so young. They're going to understand what these characters are like when they're 16, 17, maybe even 20 down the line. As they grow up in the real world, their characters are going to grow up too. And it's going to be a sight to see when that day comes. But for now, let's talk about the finale. And again, still, I we can talk spoilers. Everyone who's watching this right now, you've seen the episode. You know why you're here. Uh, Nicole, <clears throat> did this finale, very crucially, I have to ask you, did it bring home the momentum that we've been glowing about all season long? Oh, I would say absolutely. I, I think this really did deliver. I, I, what I really liked about this episode is we only we not only got delivery of everything we've been building to, but it really also, it's kind of like, to use an ocean analogy, I mean, come on, he's the son of Poseidon, I gotta. It delivered this perfect wave. We got the rising of the wave, and then it just very gently brought us all home to this this lovely little end and just left us a little bit of something at the very end to remind us that things haven't dried out just yet and i thought that was just beautifully done because it's one of those things where it felt complete but it also left a lot of meat on the bone for there to be more and i i love when a season finale gives you that it gives you everything that you needed to feel like you get a complete story but it also leaves you wanting a little bit more because isn't that the point? Isn't that the point of a TV series that you want to go five seasons however, or however many seasons we want this to go because the stories are going to keep going. You, you feel like there's more to tell, but you've got everything you needed and it was delivered perfectly. I really, and I felt like the pacing was actually really, really good. I was not disappointed by anything in this at all. This is definitely eminently rewatchable. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking too. This is this might be one of the more binge-worthy shows. Someone reached out to me on mm -hmm. Twitter the other day and was like, is Percy Jackson worth it? Uh, and I was like, yes. And you're oh, asking yeah. at the perfect time because it's the day before the finale when they reached out. I'm like, you can binge episodes one through seven and go straight into the finale and have a very 
awesome and unique experience because no one's been able to binge it one through eight yep. in one sitting yet. And because these episodes are on the shorter side and so digestible, I feel like anyone who's complaining about the runtime in a weekly capacity, that will not be an issue mm -hmm. when you sit down and watch this thing in one or two sittings. So I, I love what you said there. There's a lot of questions that were answered, which I love. There's a lot of questions that were raised. And I think it was a perfect balance of, like you said, having a complete story and standing on its own while also leaving a lot up for a, a launch pad for if and when a season two comes along. So I, I think that it, like, again, I got those finale vibes. Uh, Erica from Seaweed Brain Podcast always raves about the structure of uh, serialized television. And something I love about what Percy Jackson did is it, it embraced what serialized television is. We had a clear mid-season finale in this show. We had a clear premiere. We had a clear finale. Uh, some of the Marvel shows and the Star Wars shows almost feel like six-part movies. This never felt like an eight-part movie. At, in a binge capacity, I can see where you could come up with that, but the way it flows and paces, this is very much a TV show, and it utilizes all of the luxuries of a TV show to their full capacity, and I'm stoked to see what that means in the future. You mentioned about fulfilling teases, uh, like making good on promises all season long. Nicole, in the mid-season premiere, we met a guy named Aries, and we knew that that was yes, a bad we did. We knew that that was a bad dude, and we knew from the trailers, eventually things are going to get physical with the God of War, and we open this episode with Percy Jackson and Ares squaring off in the ring. And before we talk about it, who better to break down this fight, punch by punch, sword swing by sword swing, than Adam Copeland himself. Edge yeah. is back on Riptide Radio. Check it out. So the fight has gone down, the climactic moment of this entire season, Percy Jackson versus Ares, and we're going to go fight-by-fight fight analysis, instant replay style with Mr. Adam Copeland himself, Ares himself. Adam, we set the stage right away, single combat, one-on-one, -on -one. whoever draws first blood first wins, and you give a little monologue. You, you're, you're toying with Percy a little bit. It's your funeral, kid, although we're just so we're clear, no funeral. Any trace of you leaves a trace of my plan, and we can't have that. Still cutting promos on him before the match starts. <laughs> like any good heel, you have to. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, the job of this is Aries is he's the bad guy. He's, he's, uh, maybe a bit of a misunderstood bad guy. Um, and, uh, but you know, playing the bad guy is nothing new to me. So that that's really fun. And I, I think there's something that people enjoy about this massive underdog, whether it's David Goliath, you, you, you pick the analogy, people enjoy seeing that the little guy fight from underneath against this giant opposition and there's no way they should have a chance. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely what this is. Well, now both men are in their corners. We ring the bell and you go for the kill shot right away. Why exert that much energy? I mean, if, if that's all Aries knows, you know, you just, you just go for home runs. He doesn't, he doesn't want to worry about singles. He doesn't want to worry about doubles. He's not, he doesn't want to worry about triples. He doesn't want inside the park home runs. He wants it out of the field. That's why. We keep going. There's some sword swinging and elbow to the chest. Percy is down. Referee ask him, is Aries thinking that it's over in this moment? Yeah, I think he's pretty cocky. You know, he, he's pretty cocky and he thinks that that's done. Dunzo. But from here, you pick Percy up, you, you, you look him in the eye, and he escapes from his grasp. So are we going for the squash match still, or do you think we're kind of playing with our food at this point? Well, now I think it's touring. You know, now he's the lion just, you know, batting the, the whatever it is around the gazelle. 
not it's not just sword action of course we do get a moment where you grab percy by the shoulder and you throw him over you're still standing so i'm going to call this a one-arm standing suplex even though it's probably not technically what it is was there ever, ever any conversation about you hitting a spear on walker there was not there was not well i i think um dior having a spear was enough of a, a and playing Aries' daughter was enough of a you know obscure insider reference. Well, you continue playing with your food. You're kicking Percy around. You know that you've got this match won. But then the waves start bubbling, and oh my God, that's the son of Poseidon's music. The waves are coming crashing. They're about to knock Aries on his feet. What is going through Aries's mind right here? Because he doesn't move. He's ready to take this bump. Well, I, yeah, because I truly think he feels nothing can hurt him. He's Aries, right? Um, and, and that was on the day. That was because you're acting to something that's not there and then trying to emote something about something that's not there. So it's, it's always a fun challenge. You get knocked to your feet or Aries gets knocked to his feet. You're pulling for the sword. Percy gets the slash. Golden Icker dripping from Aries's ring finger. Ring the bell. It's over. Is this the biggest upset of Aries's career? Yeah, well, Aries, this this isn't a defeat. This this is purely, you know, this is just a little sidestep. That's all it is to him. He's like, you didn't beat me. You didn't actually beat me. You didn't put me down, right? That's Aries. He's and like, he said, uh, okay, you cut my Achilles. Yay, I'm healed already. Good for you. He says it in the post-match promo, too. He says, you want to know what you really want today, Percy? You want an enemy for enemy life. for life. <laughs> I did read a report uh, that Percy has nuclear heat backstage at Olympus. Do you have any comment on that? <laughs> uh, maybe with Zeus. Yeah. A lot Zeus? of politics. Yeah. A lot of politics. Olympus is, is bad for politics. <laughs> <laughs> that head booker zeus he's always up to no good that's for sure that interview clip might go down as like my favorite thing i've ever done getting to bring wrestling commentary analysis to a percy jackson versus aries fight with adam copeland himself i can't believe i just said that sentence since it's like a real thing <laughs> everything i just said is true what the heck uh nicole i need to get your thoughts on the aries fight this was the big physical confrontation that we were building to all season long did it deliver for you it really did. I have to say, I, I loved the action of it. I loved watching. I, I loved Aries, big Aries with little Percy. And I loved the dynamic, the physical dynamic. But you know what really jumped out for me watching that episode? And this is, you're going to laugh. The look on Aries' face when he sees the wave that, oh, crap. That the, Just that very glip, the hint of, uh-oh. I, I just, it was unintentionally funny. And I just, I, I gotta give, I'm going to call him edge because in my heart, he is edge. That's just how it is. I'm sorry, man. That's just, that's where it is. Um, I have to give him so much credit for that because that right there, like I want a meme of that. Like that moment was so good. I just felt like that just had so much life to it. And I loved everything about, it. I know that scene was super serious, but come on, that's gold. I was just going to say at the end of the fight, he even goes like, well, that was so cool. You made an enemy with me, and like he's he's sarcastic, right. like sure, like he's super I, sarcastic. It felt like so. It, it felt like wrestling. It felt like I mean, we I watched the Royal Rumble this weekend. It literally felt like some wrestling. Like it felt like a, a like a storyline on some level. Like I'm just like, yeah, this is cool. But you know, the the seat the fight scene is serious for Percy, <laughs> but he's just like, okay, it I love serious. it. I love that so much. I love it so much. It's absolutely serious for Percy. And also, too, I love that upon a rewatch, I remember going into the Aries fight the first time watching it being like, 
I really hope they do this well in the sense of like on paper, 12 year old Percy who has very limited training should not be beating the God of war. He should be escaping him. There's a way to do that too. And that's exactly what they did in this fight. Ares won the actual hand to handness of it all. Yep. He just underestimated Percy. It, it, Adam talks about it in the interview. At first, he's going in for the kill, and then he starts playing with his food. And then he starts toying with Percy mm -hmm. a bit. And then it's when he underestimates Percy that the wave changes all the momentum. And Percy, again, he never plays with Ares. He immediately goes for that first blood attack. And again, I love the touch of the golden ichor dripping from his, from his mm -hmm. hand. I know that, of course, that's how the gods bleed. But still, to see it in live action and the way it's done too, uh, I'm never going to get gold paint on my hand the same again. I'm going to be like, oh, look at me. I'm bleeding <laughs> like, a, like a Greek god out here. Ares, though, Nicole, is not the only god we get in this episode. He's one of no. four, I believe, including Dionysus at the very end. That we sounds head, about right. We head to Mount Olympus uh, pretty soon yes, thereafter. And, Nicole, yes, the floor is yours. This is a very big uh. introduction of Zeus, but it's also the first time that Percy Fine. and Poseidon meet. It's also the first time we get to truly see Olympus as viewers. Because remember, we got that tease where we, we, we go up and we see light, but we don't actually see Olympus. And I, I have to point this out because one of the things that struck me is when, because when Percy sees Olympus, we also see Olympus. And I thought it was very interesting the way that they chose to represent Olympus because we all saw, you know, when we went to the underworld, we saw how dynamic that world was and how everything was different. There is a moment with looking at Olympus in general where it kind of almost looks flat, like a painting with stuff in front of it. I thought it was really interesting that to represent that, they took an almost classical art approach to it to kind of make it, it represent, it looks like what you would think it would look like when looking at old masters paintings. I thought that was a very interesting way to approach that because it's very much like what a human being would think Olympus looks like. And it makes me wonder, does Olympus look different to different people if they make it up there and i'm because i'm sorry because remember we don't see the god's true form are we seeing olympus's true form i thought that was just kind of one of those little things it's like are we layering layers to the world you know i think, think that's very unique I, I i like that because again the gods oh, right? appear in different forms like the, the way we see aries is not his true form uh he will eventually right. if we get to it he will appear as mars he will appear as his roman version mm -hmm. so i love that mm -hmm. idea that olympus that cool? is perceives to the viewer depending on who the viewer is on that note though really quick one one complaint i had uh this show has done a great job of showing not telling when aries ascends to his true form and grover just says like don't look at his true form with no explanation kind of rubbed me the wrong yeah. way i was like I don't, know how, I don't know how you do that with showing and not telling because you can't have him like petrify one of the three kids in that moment but yeah the way that they just like like ran over that really yeah. quickly just being like ah whatever yeah that thrown in kind of thing and, I, and part of me wonders if that was thrown in as a maybe a seed planting for the idea that some of the places we're seeing look different to different i don't know i don't know that's kind of what got me thinking about it but yeah i'm with you there but i just thought that was a new but i also was taken by when we we kind of so you know percy being percy stubborn whatever he he decided to take that bolt himself to zeus and there's this really cool moment where he walks in and Zeus is sitting basically on Zeus's throne. And I couldn't help but be struck by the similarities to Hades's throne. But they're also different. Hades has walls. Zeus does not. They both have very specific classic style. And so it's in a similar decorative vein, but one is harder, one is not. I just thought the different they're both dressed formally, but it's different. 
it's almost like they're reflections of each other, but the reflections are very similar. And I thought it was very, very interesting. And then, of course, we get Lance Reddick as, as Zeus. And I honestly have no idea how anyone is going to top that performance. To, to expand upon that, too, I love, again, shout out the entire Percy Jackson fandom community. I love how respectful people have been. I have not mm. seen a single tweet or a single article addressing what we all are thinking, the elephant in the room, of what do we do with Zeus going forward. We, we can have that conversation. In, in four or six months time, when the recast is actually necessary, we needed to let this performance play. We needed to experience Lance Reddick in this role before we even address that elephant in the room. And I'm so glad we did. So shout out to everyone. Uh, I know there are people in the live chat right now uh, showing love for Lance Reddick. And thank you all for, for being respectful and letting this performance play out as it should. Because like you said, Nicole, it was a masterful, masterful yeah. work. What a beautiful gift of a performance that performance was. Because it was not only amazing, but Zeus is freaking scary. Like, he is terrifying. And in the scene, you know, Percy is there with the bolt. He's gonna, he, he's trying to head off this war. And, and Zeus is like, nah, I'm getting my war. You failed your quest. It's, it's over. You failed the quest. I'm still doing this. And this is the moment I think is the most interesting that for me actually sums up the entire theme of the story, the theme of the series and possibly gives the biggest message to the fans. And it kind of, I'm, I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. This is a story about the destiny we choose and not the fate that we're given or told is ours. Because Zeus expects Percy to just accept the fact that you failed the quest. I'm doing what I want. I'm letting you leave with your life. That's good enough. Little, little demigod go. And Percy says, nah, you need to listen to me. He is choosing a destiny that is so different than what he has been assigned as his fate. And it changes everything. And we have seen through the series up to now that he has been consistently kind of going a different path while trying to figure out what his purpose is. And as he takes all these steps and goes throughout, he's changing the world around him. He's changing the people around him. He's changing perspectives of some of the gods around him. And that's the moment you see it really click in that Percy is just not going to take it anymore. And I think that's such a cool moment because it's also the moment we get Poseidon. Because what? Because Zeus is like, yeah. And Poseidon shows up. And for me, that moment made me gasp. It made me cry. And I just like took my breath away to see Poseidon show up exactly like he said, that in the moment he needs me, I'm going to be there. And he was. Zeus was about to eliminate Percy for being stubborn and impertinent, like you'd expect Zeus to do. And Poseidon surrenders. He surrenders before the war even starts. He is going to give up this win for the son that for the son who doesn't think his father loves him. And it is just, I, uh, Liam, what did you think of that moment? Because we've been waiting for this moment. Like that was my little let Nicole cook motion. You're, you're stirring the <laughs> pot right now. She, she's got the cookbook. I knew she'd take us to school on this episode. <laughs> All that analysis. I echo it. Uh, there, there's not much I, I can add from the Zeus perspective. Like you said, 
Uh, it, it's just beautiful. And again, I, I want to shout out specific aspects of Lance Reddick's performance, his presence, his aura, like the way, again, a lot of gods, especially Poseidon in episode seven, have very limited dialogue. If we were to tally up how many words Zeus said in this entire season of Percy Jackson, sure, it was only one scene, but still, the fact that there was, you know, close to six hours of runtime for this whole season, and Zeus had two minutes of screen time, maybe 50-something words, yet so much of that is what we're going to remember the most. That is powerful. That is awesome. And the presence aspect, too. I talked about how earlier in the season, how Echidna felt super lived in, like Hades felt super lived in, like even Electo felt super lived in. Zeus feels like a guy who's been around for a long time. He's not going to take any crap, and he knows that he's got a pile of victories behind him, and he's not satisfied, and he still wants more. Like, this is a guy who I believe why he wants to go to war with Poseidon because he's so addicted to that feeling of winning and maintaining his spot that he'll do whatever it takes. He'll be as stubborn uh, as the day is long. And so, again, shout out Lance Reddick for that. Toby Stevens, again, interfering, <clears throat> stopping the bolt. A couple things on that note. Uh, check out comicbook.com very soon. Uh, we have an exclusive about alternate designs for Zeus's Master Bolt, uh, different handles that they were going to choose, different ways the lightning were going to imbue and all that. That'll be uh, exclusively an article form. So check that out at comicbook.com uh, at some point on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, January 31st, that is. Uh, but beyond that, I don't think there's anyone better to discuss everything that Poseidon did in this episode than Toby Stevens himself. So without further ado, let's bring him back on the show two weeks in a row, Mr. Toby Stevens. In the finale, you share this awesome scene uh, with Zeus and then Percy specifically. Um, and Percy says to Zeus beforehand that the gods below Zeus are obeying because they're afraid. Do you think Poseidon is afraid of Zeus or do you think he just doesn't want to mess with the order of things? No, I don't think he's afraid. I think they are competing brothers. They are. And I think that's always a dan the, the danger to Zeus. Zeus is paranoia of like somebody's going to elbow me off the top. The children, because they're offspring of other gods, they're always a threat. And anything that, that, that is about his power is a threat. So that's why I think Zeus was always very jealous of other gods' children, because they, they, they could be competitors to his power. And I think that, you, you know, you're right. The rumble in the background is... is like, I don't want Zeus to know too much about Percy. I, I don't want, I need to protect him from that because he can be killed like, like that. And I think that's, that's also one of the reasons why Poseidon is fearful of getting too close to Percy because A, he doesn't want to alarm Zeus to his prey, but also he's afraid that this could be taken away from him at any point, that relationship, if he gets too close to either of these people, they can they can be taken away, and that's too painful. And that's exemplified too with with how he reacts. Of Percy's life is threatened. Uh, Zeus ignites that bolt, and Poseidon surrenders immediately. Uh, and that that fight or flight, like you're saying, if he intervenes when he needs to, I think that's so strong. And that that's those little moments give Poseidon so much more layers than than anyone could have anticipated when the show first started. Took looking at that scene though uh, as an actor, obviously. We look back uh, very differently now with just the fact that Lance Reddick ha has passed away. Your memory of, of sharing this, the stage uh, with Lance on that day and, and Walker being there as well. I would just love to know uh, as an actor how, how that day felt. I loved it. I actually, the scene took quite a long time to film. So we did it over about three days and I got to spend three days with Lance. And, you know, like I, I was a huge fan before... Uh, 
I met him. So I was I was thrilled to know that he was playing Zeus and that we were going to get to play brothers. It was just like so, so fantastic. We really connected as actors as well. I mean, that's a great thing about my job is I get to work with all these different people. And, you know, you get to kind of forge these relationships where, you know, it's like a working relationship, but then you're also just sitting around on set talking. And both of us have a real kind of love of Theatre, I came up through theatre when I was when I was younger. Uh, I did a lot of theatre and I still do uh, in, in my career. I always go back to theatre and he loved theatre. He was a huge theatre fan and we were talking about all of that. And, you know, really connected with one eye. And so I, the last thing I said to him is, I'm really looking forward to doing some more stuff with you if this goes. And we were both like, yeah, 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 that would be a lot of fun. And so it was devastating when I heard the news and I was really shocked and because he seemed so, because he's a big guy. I mean, he's like six foot three, four, big, imposing, physically strong. And I, so I was like, it was just seemed so impossible to me um, what happened, but it did. And I, I am greatly saddened. Well, it's a beautiful memory and it's a beautiful scene that will live forever uh, in, in just this series, this lore and just entertainment as a whole. There's a line of dialogue you have uh, after after Zeus leaves the frame uh, when you're talking to Percy. And I talked with Rick before the season started and I asked him, what's one line of dialogue pulled straight from the books, adapted into live action that made you feel the proudest to hear as an author? It was your line. The sea does not like to be restrained. Uh, when you said uh, well, that line, did you did you feel the weight of, of what you were saying? Yeah, it was a great line. I mean, it's, it's, it was a fantastic line. So uh, yeah, and I'm glad that he he enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's very flattering. I'm 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 very pleased. That's one of the most godly lines in the show. I, I have to say, he is the most charming guy. I mean, I because for somebody who's written something that's so seminal, such a huge thing for, I mean, you know, he's the most humble and lovely guy. And it was, it was a real pleasure and an honor to, to, to work with him and be part of that. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm thrilled that he, he, he liked that. Yeah, he's a genius. And it, it's so awesome to see his work brought to live action life. As someone who read these books when they were first coming out in the 2000s, it's really, really special. Uh, looking a little towards the future, I find the dynamic of the big three gods so fascinating because like you said, they are all so different. Hades, when Percy brings up Kronos, is like, I need the bolt. I need to defend myself. When is he coming? He takes it very seriously. Zeus, on the other hand, is like, my, my father has been stirring in Tartarus for years. This is just the latest. I'm not really too concerned. Poseidon asks how many people know about Kronos. So it seems like he's kind of in between of whether or not how to take mm. this threat seriously. When Percy, his son, you know, he might only be 12, but he's got a lot more might behind him. When he brings up the threat of Kronos, how seriously does Poseidon take that? I think he has to take it seriously. I mean, I think there is always, it's like, it's like, um, I suppose it's like in the, in our context going nuclear Armageddon. I mean, it's always there, you know, it's always there in the background and you, and you kind of like, whenever things kind of get, like getting, you know, it's, it, it, it suddenly becomes more real, you know, it's an abstracted thing, but then suddenly it, it, it becomes real. I think it's the same thing for them. This could happen anytime. The volcano could erupt uh, if the right conditions are there. So I think there is always a, an anxiety about that. 
Yeah, and it's stirring. And, you know, hopefully we get future seasons to actually fully flesh out this long term story. Uh, One final question for you, Toby. Again, thank you so much for the time. Uh, You have two scenes in this first season. And to my knowledge, we got Virginia, we got Walker, we got Lance. You share the scene, you share the screen with three different people. And there's a giant universe of characters out there, actors out there within Percy Jackson lore. If we are to get a season two, a season three, who are some actors or characters that you think your Poseidon would play off? Well, I think I, I would really love to get more scenes with obviously with Walker and Virginia I'd love to kind of flesh that out a bit more but I think also with the other gods I mean I I, I think that would be fun having you know seeing how various characters in the family react to one another yeah Zeus says Athena's gonna call a meeting and the day we get all 12 Olympians together that is gonna yeah. be that's gonna be the Avengers coming together uh in, in, on Disney plus so uh yeah <laughs> very much looking forward to that uh Toby thank you again for your time thanks lovely to meet you So as I also detailed to Toby, he utters Rick Riordan's favorite line in the series. I asked Rick before the season began, uh, what's one line from The Lightning Thief that was adapted word for word in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the TV show, that made you feel the most like proud and proud as an author? Our Poseidon says the sea does not like to be restrained, which is not a spoiler for anyone who's read the books. uh, And I'm not going to give the context for it. But when I heard that, it's such a critical moment between Percy and Poseidon that it just, it just hit me. It, it, it's, it resonates so beautifully. Yeah, and at that, they have never met before until that no. moment. And yeah. um, there's so much emotion just in that tiny little bit. Um, it's, it's fabulous. And I waited all season to hear that line, and he utters it to Percy. It's one of the first things he says to him. He's like, I guess I have to take some of the blame for how like stubborn you are. The sea does not like to be restrained. I thought that was super epic, but Nicole, the meat of this conversation is what is unspoken. And that is when we bring the Sally factor into play. Percy asking Poseidon if he dreams, wondering if he dreams about Sally and his eyes tell Uh a million stories. As someone who I know knows Sally Jackson inside and out better than so many people I've spoken to. How do you think Sally feels about Poseidon's reaction to does he dream about her? Oh my gosh. Well, first you have to think about what dreams are. Um, and it's one of the things I learned in school is that for a lot of t- a lot of times, dreams are our subconscious's way of processing the things that we can't process in our waking lives because sometimes they're too hard or we push them down. And like the sea will not be restrained. Our feelings will not be restrained. They manifest. And sometimes that is in dreams. And the look on his face says that his feelings will not be restrained, much the way the sea does. And I would I would be willing to bet that if you were to pose the same question to Sally, she'd have the same reaction because they are both processing. They are both, that is probably where they go individually. I'm not saying they're sneaking off into dreamland to like meet that. That would be interesting, but that's not what we're talking about here. I think that for them, that is where they are processing the situation they're in. And I think that speaks so much to the pain that they are both carrying. That moment broke me. Like it really did because there's, there's layers to it. There's layers to the idea that if you want to get into the, even the toxic masculinity of it, which I don't love going to that because I don't think that's necessarily what this is, but there's something to be said for so many men don't talk about their feelings. And here is someone who can't talk about his feelings for a variety of reasons because of the rules of the world he lives in and belongs in. He can't answer that question. 
And therefore he can't say, yeah, I dream about your mom, even though it's pretty freaking obvious that he does. And that's this one thing that Percy really probably needs to hear is that I'm not just something that was created out of a random moment and that my mom is important and my mom is special. And Sally probably needs to hear that on some level too, because she's been doing this alone for a very long time, even though she's had this silent support. I just think it speaks to like the most beautifully broken family dynamic of people who all genuinely love one another, but don't know what to do with it. And here is Percy in this situation of dealing with like this insane millennia's worth of generational trauma. And we see him as the one person who's starting to break it. But that moment is so vulnerable and we really get to see a God be extremely vulnerable without saying a word. This is Poseidon holding back everything that possible, all of his hopes and dreams for his son and the relationship and the life he could have had all in that one moment. And so when he's asked, do you dream of my mom? I wonder if the answer is more complicated than that. Oh yeah. Maybe the answer, maybe the answer is I dream of you. I think he dreams of them as a family, to be completely honest. Yeah. I think he dreams of, of a I world do too. where they can all live together on Montauk. Percy mm-hmm. doesn't have to go to school. They just play at the beach all day. Um, yeah, something I, 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 I think I, it's much, much deeper. Yeah, and something I, I love about what you're saying there is Poseidon, again, so much is left unspoken and so much is left unfulfilled. That is the magic of where we left off this finale because there are moments that we created you know, in this finale that will be expanded upon further moments that that didn't exist before. This moment between Percy and Poseidon was building all season. When we eventually get to it, it still leaves us wanting more. It, it, uh, the, the first thing I thought when he dropped that pearl on the ground, I was like, wait, 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 no, 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 wait, 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 come back. And so again, when, whenever, whenever they do get to share a room together again, it's going to just feel that much more satisfying. And then it's going to feel that much more crushing when we again, don't reach that resolution. Cause they're not going to reach that resolution for many, many episodes and seasons to come. But when it does come, I think it's going to be very special. You just feel very, very bad for Percy in that immediate moment after like, you know, he got, you know, he read his, his dad's body language. Like kids aren't stupid. That is one thing I think people don't give kids. And I I mean that in the broad scale, like little ones to teenagers to above. Kids aren't stupid. They can read body language almost better than adults can. He he knew what his dad was saying without saying it, but there's that frustration of not getting to hear it. And you almost feel bad for him when he wakes up on the ground. Well, the good news is Percy's got a shoulder to cry on back at Camp half Nicole. Yes, he does. He's got his best yes, friend, he does. Luke. Best friend he's got his bro gonna gonna march back into camp Halfland. the first person that's gonna be there to greet him his big old pal luke who who gave him a sturdy pair of shoes that never malfunctioned once throughout this never class. not once they are perfect and stylish to boot mm-hmm. nicole uh before we before we bring charlie in to talk about this scene specifically uh, i want to ask you about getting back to camp Halfland. Uh, the celebration that ensues, him being greeted by all the campers, the hug with Annabeth, of course, rekindling uh, with Chiron, I believe. Or does Chiron not come until after? Either way, he's re- he's rekindling with a lot of different people. He's back home. That's the best part about this all. Mm-hmm. It feels like he is home. The first time he arrived at Camp Athlode, he was a stranger in a strange land. This time, it feels like home. Except for Clarice is still looking at him like, bro, I don't like you. And I've lo- I love, like, everything is happy. And then she's like, 
I'm like, thank you. Thank you for keeping it real. I appreciate you so much. I like you so much more. I really do. I think she is bitter at the fact that before she was like, there's no way he killed him. In the yeah, car. There's she's no not, way, absolutely not. Yeah, she's not the queen bee anymore. She's, she's not the coolest kid at the street. Yeah. She's confronted with the reality that Percy actually, he is who they say he is. And he's not going to gloat about skinny, it, but you got to you know, accept some it Some skinny kid took her crown and she's not happy about it. And I'm just like, you know what, girlie? I feel you. You're still cool with me. Well, anyways, once they get back to Camp Affleck, that's when they start to kind of resolve this issue of Clarice, the lightning mm-hmm. thief, what's going on there. Percy, Annabeth, and Luke scheming together. Luke takes Percy into the woods. And before we give our thoughts on it, let's get Charlie Bushnell to break down exactly what just happened. Before we get into the scene itself, uh, when you read the book for the first time and we got to those final pages of The Lightning Thief, what was your reaction when Luke turned? Oh, man. I mean, obviously, I knew it was coming uh, just because I did my own research outside of the book and just talking with like Dan and, and John and like in that first meeting that I had with with Dan and John and, and James, we we talked a lot about the character and the arc obviously so I, I knew what was coming but reading that for the first time was insane yeah I remember reading that and just thinking like I cannot wait to film this like this is going to be so much fun and obviously there are some changes from the book it's not exactly how it goes down but I I personally like those changes I think it I think it's more exciting for the for a tv show adaptation i think you know over me just kind of summoning a scorpion and talking to him i think it's exciting that we actually get to have this fight but yeah it's it was so much fun and walker and i just really i feel like in that moment we were really just able to connect and like bounce off each other and it was such a collaborative few days on set yeah those changes are are what keep diehard fans on our toes you know at the end of the day like we don't want this to necessarily be a beat by beat retelling but at the same time the spirit of that scene was still Mm -hmm. very much true uh, when we saw it in live action so i want to dissect some lines of that scene with you right now uh there's a moment at the beginning when luke says before he officially reveals his intent intentions oh prophecies are so vague so was luke planning on telling percy like his true intentions beforehand or was he kind of forced to because percy confronted him about it i think luke brought him out there to to essentially you know lay it on him like tell him exactly what what was going down i think percy being percy he's he's extremely smart i think he sort of figured it out before luke could even get it out there himself but another thing that i like that was changed from the book is that you know luke in this moment, he's, 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 he says it himself, he's trying to recruit Percy to his side. Whereas in the book, he kind of just like takes him out there to essentially dispose of him. And I think that I think that'll make people a lot more empathetic towards Luke and, and understand where he's coming from. I think in an ideal world, Percy would have been like, yeah, like, I, I hear you. Like, let's let's do this, man. Like, I'll, I'll join your side. No, yeah, that, that summarized it. And honestly, it goes into what I was going to bring up next was the idea of Luke wanting to recruit Percy. But One thing that did stay true from the books is the winged converse were always intending on dragging Percy down to Tartarus. So with that in mind, was (laughs) was Luke always trying to recruit Percy or was it get to a point where he was like, this kid's too good. He should probably be on our side. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too. I think that was like plan A was like the winged shoes were going to bring him down to Tartarus. But then he was like, "Okay, well, that didn't work out. I think from the start, Luke always saw Percy, you know, of course, just being a a son of Poseidon as a powerful asset, you know, a potential powerful asset. Like Percy at this point has really only been a part of this whole world for like, what, like a week, two weeks, like a very short amount of time. And so, and he's still already like on his first quest. And I think Luke probably knows what's going on. And the fact that he did outsmart him and his plan failed. I I think, I think what you said is right. I think in that moment, he was like, okay, maybe 
maybe this maybe we can use him actually and something that he is trying to use him to persuade him is the fact of the reveal of backbiter we get to see this mm -hmm. giant sword in all its full live action glory yeah. uh something that was changed from the books is in the books we're hearing luke kind of describe backbiter its abilities uh what it's made out of uh, in the books, it's half uh, tempered steel, half celestial bronze. It can kill both immortals and mortals. Are those rules and regulations still applied to this live action by backbiter, even though we didn't get that explained by you in the scene? Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you really inspect the sword, I actually, damn, I, I, I have one here at my house. Walker took it from set and he actually sent it to me in the mail. So huge shout out to Walker for doing that. If you really like look at the sword, it, it does have a clear line down the middle that one is kind of like a celestial bronze kind of color and then one is just like a steel so yeah i think those same roles rule, rules still apply to to backbiter in the show when i saw it for the first time i was like oh man this is so cool and they actually made like like real sort like they have like real like metal ones that we got to we got to hold uh while we were filming we obviously didn't film that scene with the real swords because that would have been extremely dangerous but um we got to like hold them and take some take some cool pics with them uh so maybe those will you'll those will be surfacing on the internet in the next few days we'll keep an eye out for the bts picks i know a lot of people are watching the episodes as they come out for the first time when they air on disney plus have you had a chance to see the scene yet because the only reason i ask is luke's theme like the score that bear mccreary composed yeah. is so epic have you heard it yet i did yeah i actually last night dan and john <laughs> invited we had a little cast screening for the episode which was so much fun and that was actually my first i think that was all of our first time kind of seeing it all the way through so that was so much fun and it was so great to to see all the cast again yeah i actually i did get to see that scene a few weeks ago because it's such a small world but um bear mccreary is actually like literally lives a few houses down from me crazy right i know but i met up with him and i got to like officially kind of meet him for the first time and we we uh he he took me into like his studio that he has and uh he he showed me that scene he had like very uh early versions of like the visuals of it the vi visually i don't think the scene was like fully cut together and finished but he like played the theme for me and oh, like I, I got goosebumps the first time i heard it it was insane yeah he's awesome his catalog is insane too he did like lord of the rings I'm, I'm pretty sure he did black sales as well and if we get to see full five seasons with him but being the maestro behind everything i'm i'm very yeah. much looking forward to that it's funny too you mentioned uh the, the neighboring aspect because i talked with jay duplis last week and mm -hmm. he is neighbors with suzanne crier who plays a kid really? it's like oh uh, the amount of small worldness within Percy jackson it's is pretty wild in the scene itself it turns physical only as soon as Percy mentions Hermes. Luke says right off the bat, he's like, I don't I don't want to fight you. I, I don't want this to get out of hand. I just want to talk. But as soon as Percy says, I met your father, Luke snaps into it. He turns it on. He's in fight mode. Uh, if you're able to put into words, how does Luke feel about Percy meeting Hermes? Oh, good question. Um, you know, I think that's definitely a sensitive subject for Luke. I think that there's definitely a sense of almost jealousy there, possibly, because, you know, Luke throughout his whole life has sort of especially when he was younger would would call for Hermes but Hermes was never there for him really except for that one time they he went back to his house to even then that was like a whole messy thing and I think the fact that that Percy has kind of already had this connection with his father before he even has was not good for him but I think I think in that moment Luke just the mention of Hermes like I said it's a very sensitive subject and I you know I think Luke in his mind really thought that Percy was kind of just gonna kind of go along with what he was saying and 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 join his side but I think in that moment, Luke also was, was seeing that, okay, this isn't 
this isn't going how I want it to go. And I, I think he just, he, he, at this point, he's like, I got to do what I got to do. Like, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to make my plan uh, come to life. Yeah, he gets real physical with Percy. And I mean, that's not the only time we get to see you two uh, have a sword fight. We get that sword training montage uh, earlier in the episode. I, I'm sure you and Walker rehearsed that plenty. Uh, did you have any fun memories of, of getting that sword fighting rehearsal down? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, working with the, the Percy stunt team, like everyone on that team is just so much fun to work with and so talented. And they are probably the most in shape people I've ever met in my life like we would we would be like doing all this like sword stunt training for hours on end and then in between like the breaks like me and Walker would be like sweating like and we we need like a water break and we're just sitting on the side and then they would go like run on the treadmill for that break or like start doing like push-ups or pull-ups or all this kind of stuff like they were just constantly moving they truly were the ones that made us look good i i remember uh it's it's actually on film and i I think i'm gonna i think i'm probably gonna post it in the next few days we me and walker did like the the final fight we rehearsed it to the to the pirates of the caribbean like theme i don't don't even remember i think walker i think walker came up with that idea but yeah that was that was really fun and i yeah i i have it in my camera roll right here so i'm excited for to release that and for people to see it just working working with them as a whole was like a dream come true for me i think it's like i would come into the studio and get to sword fight and i was like this is my like this is my job like i'm getting paid to do this like i don't i don't know i just like i i would like i I know me like like little me who was obsessed with uh you know sword fighting with my friends with those little nerf swords back in the back in the day was uh was definitely feeling like we made it you know we're, <laughs> we get to sword fight as a as, as work now yeah i don't think they made any celestial bronze nerf swords so i feel like you you've upgraded in the years since for sure yeah. um in, in the final moments of that confrontation before luke escapes through the door he knocks percy down he's got him dead to rights with backbiter yeah. over his chest before annabeth interferes if annabeth hadn't been there do you think he would have he would have just Percy right then and there? I think there was a level of hesitation for sure, because I think, you know, I think Luke at some point, I think Luke did care about Percy. I think they were sort of friends. And and like we were saying, I think he did see him as a, you know, a powerful asset to his cause. And I think there is still good in Luke. Like I said, I think he would have at this point, like he's, he's going to do whatever it takes to 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 make things happen to to bring Kronos back, and so if Percy's standing in the way, Luke's gonna get him out of the way. I think Annabeth uh, once again saved the day, and that was pretty great. Like she was, she fully like threw that knife like straight at Luke. So you know, I think she was willing to maybe even uh... <laughs> Luke in the books. Obviously, he's got a team. He's not just acting alone. Uh, do you think he's already sent out those feelers to the Chris Rodriguez's of Camp Half Blood, or is he truly on his own right now? Oh. I no, I think I think he's already I think he's already in the works. I think he's already in the works in the background. Obviously, we, we haven't seen that uh, displayed on screen yet. But I think I think he's uh, I think he, I think Luke has been plotting for a while now. Luke, he started plotting after after his uh, failed quest, which was pretty, you know, it took place a long time before the lightning thief. So, yeah, no, I think I think I think he has things uh, in the works for sure. So a lot that was unsaid or unmentioned in the show, Charlie giving us some expert insight on that. So there's your Riptide Radio exclusive for all things about backbiters' abilities, what Luke is planning, who he has already recruited. Lots of big stuff from Charlie Nicole. I want to ask you, I brought this up when I spoke with Charlie. There are a significant amount of changes to Luke's turn Mm -hmm. uh, in the book versus the show. Again, this is what I was talking about at the top where we are being faithful to the source material while also putting our own unique spin on it. In the book, 
Luke is bitter. Luke is lost. He's slashing mm-hmm. gummies at Camp Half-Blood. He takes Percy into the woods. He's littering. He's, he's showing his true self. And he has already made up his mind that he's going to go lead this independent quest to bring Kronos back from the dead and bring back the golden age of Titans and all that. And he doesn't try to recruit Percy. He tries to kill Percy in the end. In this, it's very different. It seems like the only reason why he shows his true self is because Percy confronts him about it. And even after the fact, he tries to recruit Percy to his side. So I don't want to ask you which one is better because again, I think it's apples and oranges. I think the book version really worked for the book. And I think the show version really worked for the show. But I want to ask you about the execution, the idea of Luke recruiting from the jump as opposed to antagonizing Percy. I think this actually works. Again, it's apples and oranges. They're both great. I did miss the scorpion. Um, I think this works better for a longevity of story piece to it. I think this is going to give us something to build off of. I also think this gives a this version really gives us a richer version of Luke. And one of my notes that I put down on this is that I like that there are moments in this where you can really tell that this isn't someone who is just bitter about the way things are. This is a young man who has definitely bought into the ideology. Like some, the world that he lives in does not work. We, we all have seen this, even all of the demigods know that the world they live in is broken in some fashion. But for him, this is real. He has experienced some stuff that has made him bitter and broken in a way. And it has made him easier for him to buy into a different ideology. And he genuinely believes that this other way forward is what it is. And he very badly, it's the true believer piece of it rather than the burn it all down version. And I think that's a more compelling story. And it's also a more contemporary story because even if you look at the world around us, we are living in a world where. For a lot of people, the way it's always been doesn't work and has negative impact on our day-to-day lives. And so it's very easy for this alternative ideology, be it good, be it bad, be it neutral, to look like it's something to take up. And I think that this works better story-wise for a long-running thing, and it's more relatable. And it makes Luke less of a traditional bad guy and more of an antagonist but someone who you can at least understand where he's coming from and is going to make the emotional stakes going forward that much higher the best villains nicole are the heroes of their own story and that is what luke that's what luke always has been on the page but again on the page we were confined to only seeing percy's perspective the luxury of the show is multiple povs multiple different characters leading scenes multiple times where we're in a room that Percy's not in. And in this scene, I felt like we were telling the scene through Luke's lens. I felt that Percy was the supporting character in this moment and give me all the anti-hero Luke. Because again, I love villain Luke. I love full-fledged, I won't listen to anybody. This is how things are going to be Luke on the pages of the Percy Jackson books. You add in the anti-hero layer, you add in the clear-cut sympathy layer. I think he's there's a lot of sympathy to be had with Luke on the page. But again, that sympathy is implied. That sympathy mm-hmm. sympathy is looking for a reason to understand where he's coming from. And when you start to dig down that rabbit hole, you start to kind of see him as more of a human being uh, than, you know, the villain that he seems like he's on the page. This version, again, this is how I, I, I would always want Luke to be portrayed in live action. Yeah. Because again, like I said, we're getting to see him through his own eyes. And when we see him through his own eyes, he should be presented 
as a hero because that's his bias mm-hmm. perspective. He wants to be the hero at the end of the day. And what's funny is, Nicole, I've been saying all season long that brotherly bond, that unbreakable friendship. Are they really not friends anymore? I mean, it wasn't as cut. It wasn't as black and white, cut and dry as it was in the books. You know, I think it's true. Percy swung him a little DM and was like, hey, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mull over your offer to join the Titans over coffee if you'll still have me. I think Luke would answer. I genuinely think he would. I think there's still a time when Percy could be tempted to join the Kronos side without yeah. things getting physical. And that's something, again, I really love about the scene. I brought this up to Charlie, too. The only time things get physical, the only time he loses his cool and blocks out anything peripherally and is just very tunnel visioned on, you know, execute is when Hermes is brought up. The second Percy says, I met your dad, that's when everything hits the fan and he key, he won't hear anything else. And I love planting that seed because it shows that is his Achilles heel. Eventually in the books, we know he's going to bathe in the river sticks and he's going to have a legitimate Achilles heel. But mentally, he's already got one. And that is yeah. any mention of his father. There's trauma there. There's some big trauma there. And and I actually really like that we're getting that that note because we're getting the anti-hero. We're getting that layer. And we're getting the clue as to the real reason why he's susceptible to this, this other idea. And that all just speaks to the damage trauma can do to a person and how people can, can really be led into these maybe not so great schemes. Um, and it also just says that, you know, Luke's not necessarily a bad person. He's just got a bad idea. And I appreciate that. And I really appreciate that you see that, especially when he's talking about the shoes. It's like, well, I didn't mean for that. I didn't want that to hurt you. Like my, my intention is not to hurt you, dude. I just, this is what it needs to happen. I don't want you to get hurt. And you believe him when he says that. And I think that's a really important distinction. I'm not sure I'm still sold on the bros thing. I know, I know that you're, you're, you're still there. But I'm, I'm, I will give it. To, I will give you that he's his heart is genuinely in the correct place. It's just executing the directive not the best way. I'll I give you that. One, I I appreciate. I'm very biased. I'm going to defend Luke for the next uh, <laughs> hopefully four more seasons of television. Again, I I always have to you know mask that with hopefully because we don't know yet. We don't know if it's been renewed for know. another season, but we sure hope. <laughs> Please, we are we are crossing all of our fingers and our toes. Please, television gods, please. We can make this happen. One more thing I want to talk about on the Luke front before we wrap up uh, this episode and this season is the physicality of it. Again, the same reason why I really appreciated the Ares fight. Percy didn't win against Ares; he escaped Ares, and the same thing happened here. The first (laughs) time I watched it, I was like, "Dang, did Percy really just beat Luke?" And I completely missed like when I watch it with an analytical lens. Luke gets every slash and and has him dead to rights multiple times. Percy only slashes him once and immediately it shows one of his flaws. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Again, showing that Percy, for as much as you've achieved over the past, you know, seven weeks of television, however much time has passed canonically, you're still very green because he's, he's treating this fight, this potentially life or death fight as like, oh, I didn't mean to hurt my friend. You can't be doing that in battle. And that's something you're going to have to learn over the next coming years before the Great Prophecy comes into play. I love how Luke does have him dead to rights. The only reason why this fight ends in a draw is because Annabeth interferes, and there's no way to tell Annabeth was there because she was invisible. I don't like the visual of Luke running off because that just tells me, like, it it looks like, out of context, it looks like he's running away from the scenario. And I don't want him to run away. I want him to walk away 
on his own will. And again, I know people are going to say he's the villain, Liam. He's not supposed to win. He is not supposed to win in the end. We need to establish him as a credible threat mm -hmm. early on. We need to establish him as someone that the demigods fear, the, the demigods fear interacting with out of, you know, fear that they'll join him and stuff like that. So that one little visual, I wish there was a way for him to leave that scene without running. But again, that is a very nitpicky criticism. And this is a scene, of course, I've waited all season four and I wanted it to be completely perfect. And it's like 99.7% <laughs> perfect. I will live with that. Uh, Nicole, do you know what I mean though about the idea of like, I don't want Luke to even stumble this early on, you know? No, and I get it. I I, I, I watch it as a, cause I, you're absolutely right. Like the villains should not win the overall war, but they're going to win individual battles and they need to win individual battles to be a credible threat. Um, though my take on it was, if you're a teenager or a kid villain, how are you going to escape from a tense situation that you're not used to being in? You're going to book it out of there. So I, I tried to look at it as a, well, if I were a kid and say fighting my son as the villain, how would he escape from this? I'm getting out of here. Like, let me go, re let me go figure it out and come back stronger. But like, I'm choosing, I'm exiting out of this situation on my own while you're distracted. Bye. Um, so I kind of read it a little differently, but I see where you're coming from. Like it does, if you're not thinking about it that way, if you're not taking into consideration that these are, these are kids playing adults games, it does kind of look like he, he ran off. I think part of the bias is that for Luke, especially I barely view him as a kid. Like he has so much yeah. age on, on Percy, yeah. Annabeth and Grover. So he, he feels more like an adult, but again, in his in in a vacuum, Luke is still a he's child. A he's a teenager. He's he's yeah. barely out of high school and stuff like that. Yeah. That, uh, Nicole, that frontal lobe is not is not fully developed yet. So absolutely not. But still, it seems like he's gonna lead a battle at some point in the future. But mm -hmm. you mentioned that they're kids, Nicole. Summer camp is over. They gotta go back home. If you gotta stay for the fall semester, get out, as uh Dionysus said. <laughs> I love that <laughs> moment. That was my Jason Manzoukas impression. I don't think I completely nailed it, but one of these days we'll get there. Uh, Nicole, wrapping up camp, the the hug with the trio, uh, just, you know, Percy being back in New York City with his mom. Emotions, man. Like, I, I know we got a lot to talk about in the in the last bit, and we're kind of running out of time here. Um, but whatever you want to talk about in those final moments, what really stuck out to you? What was that last tug on the heartstrings before the credits played? Honestly, that hug. That, that moment in the cabin when when Sally comes out and sees Percy and she's still a little disoriented about what's going on but there's, there's that moment like I, I think like I emotionally blacked out in that moment because I was crying so hard and then I, I think that moment is another one of those things where there's a lot that's not said and in this case, it's the unsaid stuff that they already know about each other that I thought was beautiful because there was everything in the way they approach one another. And he's like, it's, it's a long story, but he doesn't feel that there's not a need to tell her the story in that moment because this, the, what, what's happening there, even though we get the wake up and then we get the chronos of it all and it's, it's a little creepy. Um, that right there spoke volumes about the importance of the mother-son relationship between those two and i said it last give her all the awards right now and just those few seconds was just so incredible and then again in the apartment when she's making the like before getting up for school 
just the look on her face when she's asked him what what he said in the dream and, and percy flat out lies and just like tell your mom you love her and she's just like really he said that he said that that uh i i i i completely i'm like i feel you i feel you i understand you i am seen in this moment but i'm also like it'd be so great to hear that from your kid like y'all are just the cutest like that that's that's mom and kid goals right there like it's so perfect i'm really glad we got that moment with them both of those moments Mm -hmm. the the time lord snuck into my dreams and told me to tell you that i love you, tell you. <laughs> I, I love that again and i, I love that Cre- creepy grandpa's that been creepy for a while but he wants to send a nice message yeah uh-huh buddy sure get up it's school time <laughs> hey uh even a broken clock is right twice a day i feel like there's a joke in there somewhere <laughs> with the fact that Kronos is like the lord of time we'll workshop that my, <laughs> my brain's a little slow right now i'm on my third cup of coffee today anyways though nicole like you said hashtag uh virginia call for emmys for for saturn awards for everything uh that everything. she's potentially up for uh let's get her a nomination when when those nominations come around next year uh beyond that things i want to cover about the final few moments chronos has that great line i don't even like calling him chronos because like the way he appears that like ghostly figure I don't want that to be Kronos. I don't like the idea of Kronos like holding a lantern and being like a skeleton. I hope that is just a mirage that is being used to portray Kronos this early on. But again, I'll overlook it. He has a great line where he says, your survival is the key to my return. Talk about just setting up a season two, a season three, four, five with one line. Like that line alone sold me. If if all else fails, if you are a new viewer to Percy Jackson and this season didn't work for you, how are you going to hear that line and not want to know more? Like your survival is the key to my return. Ugh, I want that. I'm going to print it on canvas and put it behind me. I want it one of these days. You mentioned, you mentioned a hug being one of the great moments for you wrapping up this season. For me, it was the hug with the trio, Percy, Annabeth, and Grover. Because oh, yeah. again, like they're hugging as characters, but there was a moment where I didn't see them as characters anymore. I saw Walker. I saw Leah. I saw Aryan, And just having the on like unimaginable luxury to interact with these kids in real life and and to see their dynamic play out in real life in 2023 which is months and months after they wrapped production seeing how close they are now it is very clear that when this show started they might have been strangers but by the end they were genuinely best friends and that hug like i'm getting chills just talking about it seeing it play out on screen there are moments in film and tv where that people will say on like Twitter and TikTok, they'll be like, oh, a not acting moment, a moment where you're just being yourself and it just happens to perfectly correlate with what's on the page. I'm, it's hard to think of specific examples right now. There's plenty of them in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and there are a couple moments in like DC movies and stuff like that. Uh, and also like Oscar winning movies and stuff like that. This to me will go down, at least for me personally, as one of those great moments where actors weren't acting. They were sharing yeah. a awesome moments together and we all have the luxury of having it immortalized in disney plus television and i already know years and years will go by again i don't i want to stop saying if nicole when this show realizes its full five season potential (laughs) that is the scene that these kids will go back to and be like that is where we first cemented our friendship and how lucky are we that it gets to exist forever i genuinely hope that they got a still of that that they can frame and have forever because that that's a I call them a fridge moment because that's like you know you get something special you put it on the fridge with the magnet 
that's what that felt like that i hope that's a moment that they get a still copy of that they can frame and put on their offices for, forever because i feel like that's such a that is going to be a core moment for them and it really does feel like that's a not acting moment you're absolutely right i love it uh one final thing before we wrap up nicole we did get a post credit scene we did and i'm so excited because it gives us exactly the thing i was wanting and hoping for and i love how they did it it was awesome. Again, we 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 misspoke earlier. We thought the the Hermes Express the return was a change from the books. It was true to the books, and the Hermes Express package came back to the doorstep. And Mr. Gay Bugliano, mm-hmm. you know, Tim Sharp yeah. is a very nice guy, and I hated how nice he was to me at the premiere because I'm like, I want to hate your character. You were so mean in the show, and it, it it pains me to see someone that looks like you get turned to stone. But again, it's Smelly Gabe. It's not Tim Sharp. It's Smelly and- Gabe. I love I love the effect that, that, that they did on it too. It didn't feel again. We've had some CGI woes with the season, and again, that's going to happen. VFX are different in night and day, mm-hmm. and the lighting and all that kind of stuff. I thought the way that they turned him to stone was great. I love I love his like oh that's like like he's his commentary as he's opening it up, and then it, I'm like ah oh, yeah like it was that is they could not have picked a better post credit like perfect like yes thank you. And, and the fact that he's now a chunk of statue in front of Percy's doorstep definitely gives us something to talk about going into season two. Disney Plus, give me my second season, I beg of you. Please. Nicole, <laughs> Nicole just said it right there. That concludes Percy Jackson and the Olympians season one. I can't believe I just said that sentence out loud. I can't believe I just said that sentence on a comic book microphone on a Riptide radio. Uh, we have so much to talk about before we officially wrap up out of here. Uh, this is the end of Riptide Radio mm-hmm. in our weekly capacity. Obviously, there's no episode next week, so we don't have anything to cover. But we will hopefully still have bonus episodes down the line. Uh, we're trying to coordinate some guests to do a full season one recap at some point soon. So be on the lookout for that. And of course, I'm sure if and when a season two announcement comes, we'll probably hop on these mics and theorize and speculate about what the Sea of Monsters could look like in live action nicole thank you so much for everything the past seven weeks the past eight episodes covering the show it's been an absolute blast with you and every single week is just fun i always go into this show stressing out because i have 800 other responsibilities but from four to five eastern every tuesday as we pre-record this it is always just such a joy so thank you again for joining me where can people find you and what are you working on at comicbook.com you can find me on the site formerly known as Twitter at, at Life and Polaroid. I'm everywhere else. I am Hey There, It's Nikki. This week, I'm just working on all kinds of stuff. And honestly, I'm going to be digging into rereading the books because I'm, I'm not willing to wait for a season two announcement to uh, get back into Percy Jackson. As some of y'all know, my son has been experiencing the books for the first time and he has so much to say about the story. So uh, I got to get back on my A game and my details. So I'm going to be reading if anyone wants to read along. That's what I'm going to be doing. Stay stay tuned for socials because I feel like we could put together a virtual book club. Again, we're maybe not under the comic book banner right now, um, but that's something we could definitely cook up. So stay tuned to socials. Stay tuned to Nicole's socials. You can find me on all social platforms at Liam T. Crowley, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Again, a lot of clips from the show will live on my Instagram reels as well as at Comic Book on Instagram and at Comic Book Nation on Twitter. Uh, before we officially get out of here, I do want to give thank yous to everyone who helped make the show possible. We have Jen Casperson who designed the logo, all the artwork you see here. She made the thing in my mind come to life. And I remember the day 
I got those logo layouts. It was at the Percy Jackson press junket in LA. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Everything's coming to fruition. So shout out Jen. Thank you so much. Shout out Pete, the producer, again, making the show possible each and every single week. He's actually out sick today, but he still made the thumbnails. He still made the logos. He's still a workhorse. We would be lost without Pete. So thank you, Pete. Thank you, Richard Adams, who is producing this episode. He produced our in-studio episode earlier this season. He is an absolute workhorse. He does all the great stuff with Phase Zero as well. Uh, so make sure you show love to Richard. Shout out Kofi Outlaw, who runs Comic Book Nation, who gave me all the creative freedom in the world to run wild with this. The same thing with Jim Biscardi. He runs everything with Comic Book, and he gave me so much creative freedom to just make this thing possible and awesome. Uh, and then finally, Brandon Davis and Chris Killian. You guys are like my mentors uh, at Comic Book, and everything I do, I use your blueprint to make it happen. Uh, a lot of the structure for Riptide Radio was based off of Phase Zero, was based off the last of pods, the last of us podcast that Brandon did in 2023. Uh, so thank you for even if your fingerprints weren't deliberately on the show, it spiritually were. Uh, so again, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know I've said thank you a million times and I could say it a million times more. Um, but until next time, until season two, until those bonus episodes, this has been Riptide Radio. We will hopefully see you very soon.